All right, everybody. It's so great to have you back. And today we have a good friend of mine, Coach Keith Wall. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. So excited to be with you. Yeah, me too. Now, you guys might have heard Keith's voice when we interviewed Coach Dana Cavalia, who was a coach with the New York Yankees. Now, of course, our family are Red Sox fans, um, yeah. but we made an exception <laughs> for Dana. And I got to tell you, uh, I've gotten to know Keith, who he's the assistant athletic director at my son's high school, Valor Christian High School. You've been a, a coach across what high school, college, you've won championships. I mean, there's so many things that you have done as a coach, but here's what I love and why I'm so excited to have my son on the team with Coach Wall is that first and foremost, Keith, you see that your role as a coach is to disciple the, these young men, to mentor them, to encourage them, to equip them. And you know that when you do that well, that creates that foundation, that unity that you can build not only a great team on, but a great person that's going to ha- now be able to have success whatever they do. I mean, you're using baseball a sport to really model how that foundation can serve us well wherever we go. So we're going to talk about today for you moms and your dads out there. I know you have sons, you have daughters, they're raising up in this crazy world. They're being inundated by all the stuff the world has to offer. How do we actually disciple? And my wife and I were just talking about this morning. How do we do it better, disciple, to mentor, to equip, to have these conversations? So in addition to that, um, and we'll get a little bit of this. Uh, Keith has written uh, some fantastic books with the, called the Well Coached series. You're uh, married to Allison. You got two kids, and you are just focused on your calling. So, so Keith, let me ask you. Let, let's start with this. Maybe you can just maybe kind of bring us back a little bit to those days before going to this giant university called Hastings in the middle of Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just tell us a little bit about kind of your journey, what led you to what you're doing today and why it's such a passion. Yeah, I, boy, I appreciate going back that far. When I started at Hastings College and I started my college journey, I was all about the TV, the radio, the broadcast, the the newspaper. I was going to get my communications degree and that's where I was going to go and, you know, get my job and, you know, get on ESPN someday and do all those kinds of things. And then this thing called coaching hit me. I got a chance to go back and coach in Colorado Springs. That's where I'm from. I got to go back one summer and coach one of their high school teams in the summertime. And there was just this bug that got into me that has never left. And the idea and the opportunity to impact that next generation just became a real thing. So after four years and getting my communications degree, I jumped and did my master's in teaching and got to coach at Hastings and then made my way back to Denver. And the rest, as they say, is history as far as that goes. Well, you know, and uh, to everybody to share, right, Keith is very humble. Uh, You've been Colorado Coach of the Year. You've been named Regional Coach of the Year. You've won all these state championships. So here's a question for you, because as, you know, a person of faith, you started your high school coaching career Mm -hmm. in a traditional, you know, public high school. Correct. Correct. And think about, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now, their, their kids are in a public high school, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you currently teach at a Christian high school. It's different. We have a lot more freedom. We can talk freedom. about Jesus every day. We can pray with our, our students right there in the hall. Now, we can't do that in a public school. 
So maybe as we go through that, we can maybe kind of talk about, Keith, is what are some things as parents, you know, we can really do? Because, and I'm just saying this, I know that I have done this because I've had my kids either in homeschool or Christian schools. And because you know they're what you think is a good environment, I think, well, I know I've done this. I don't want to impugn anybody else. But I have actually, I think, abdicated some of my, I think, responsibility to really disciple my boys at different times because I knew they were, hey, they're in Bible class, yeah. right? They're, they're with teachers that love them. They're with teachers that, you know, pray. They're with coaches that pray. But maybe how about this? When we're thinking about our kids, yep. you know, in addition to being a parent, how do you look at your role, you and your wife, as, you know, the parents of these two beautiful young kids that you guys are raising? Yeah, really it boils down to that idea that we are the primary educators of our kids. You use that word abdicating responsibility, and that's, that's a real thing. I mean, people are busy. People have a lot going on, and so I empathize with that. I've got, I got plenty going on myself with all the things that I do. But we have to always remember that we are the primary educators of our kids, not the school, whether that's public or private. We as parents are the primary educators of our kids. And we have to take that spiritual growth and guidance very seriously. And we can't just expect youth group at church, a Christian school, a coach to do all that work for us. They are our partners. Um, And so I've been able to really learn over the years that my role as a mentor is just as a partner. It's as a guide. And I get to do that with parents and with athletes as well. Yeah, and just something to share about myself. I grew up going to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was in youth group. I led the youth group. We went on mission trips with our church as part of the youth group. And then when I was in high school, we did you know a, a thing that was more broad in the community. I went to a, uh, it was a Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. And through all that, I don't remember ever having a deep conversation about my faith with my mom and dad. Yeah. And it honestly was never given to me from any of those things that I was part of. Yeah. And none of it stuck, dude. I got to college and absolutely pulled the ripcord. Yep. <laughs> I'm serious. Cause I, I had like, I felt like, you know, I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. I did not have, I didn't have a relationship. That's right. that? Cause That's I know right. we're going to talk about some different levels. So nobody had ever showed me, what having a relationship with God even looked like. And it wasn't until, oh my God, I was 27 years old when some friends of mine started sharing with me and when I accepted the gospel. And I'm so thankful that that happened because that changed my life. But, you know, for that whole period of time. That's kind of interesting because that's 27 is when I came to know the Lord. And that's when I was baptized. Come um, on now, me too. I swear. Yeah, 27 years old. And so... We- Yeah. So I I totally understand what you're saying as far as, you know, hey, once I got out, you know, and I was raised in the Lutheran church up until I got to high school. And then I kind of went on my own. And then when I went off to college, again, I pulled the ripcord too. I know exactly what you're talking about and what you experienced. But as I started my head coaching career, also at the age of 27, I, I came to know the Lord. I accepted Jesus, had my first head coaching job. And so I've essentially been a head coach and a Christian for the same amount of time. That's so awesome. So let me ask you a question. So first of all, let's just from your perspective, and then we can maybe move toward, you know, how the parents look at it. But as a coach, right, all of a sudden, you know, you you form a team, you have these young men. What is your, I guess, the conversations that you start to have with, with these kids, right? Because you're kind of outside their family unit, and you're outside of school. So you really have this great opportunity. But where do you start? 
Yeah, you know, you have to start with relationship, mm. just like we do with our Lord, right? Where, you know, I can't just go, let's say Matt, you know, Matt's a freshman. Actually, I remember him because, you know, we were doing some indoor hitting things. I remember when he was a freshman. That faith conversation can't be your entry point. You actually have to establish a foundation. as a, In a mentor role, you have to establish a foundation. And for us, it's baseball. You know, it's around hitting. It's around how school going. It's around leadership. It's around all those things. You start to hit them in a bunch of different areas in almost 360 degrees around their life. What do they care about? What's their family like? What do they like in school? What other things do you do other than baseball? And then you get to know them well, and then you go, so who's this Jesus guy? What's this guy mean to you? You know, he's kind of a big deal. We've got a school named after him. How do we then dive deeper um, in that conversation at that point in time and get them to open up? But I think you have to have that foundation around it in order to really go deep the way that you want to. It's like John Maxwell says, you have to connect before you can pull. And that's really what you just described. And you know what it makes me think of too, though, as a dad, yeah. because a lot of times here's my son, he's busy, he's doing homework, he's playing video games, like he wants to go hang out with folks. Yeah. And you know what? I, a lot of times my default is, hey, make good decisions, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. And I have had to really intentionally take time to actually just go have conversations with him. That's right. And you know what I found out, honestly, that works for me is like, if he's playing, like he loves playing MLB, the show on, that's yeah. one of the video games he plays, right? Yeah. And he loves playing it in manager mode. Okay. But what I've found is when he's in that mode and I sit down next to him and say, Hey, what, what are you doing? Why do you do that? Why did you, all of a sudden we start having this amazing conversation hmm. and then I can start asking him, Hey, what's going on with your friends? You know, are there any girls that you like? Hey, we had the church service on Sunday. You know, we all talked about as a family, but what really stood out with you? But once you start, you know what? We have to find, I think, opportunities to create relationship, even with our kids and not, I know that this has been a something I've struggled with. It's not just because this is how I was raised, moving into that almost authoritarian yep. role. Any advice on how to really, as a parent, connect better with our kids? Yeah, well, I'm going to soapbox for just a second. Go ahead. Get your kids away from their screens. Mm -hmm. You know, especially as young, young children, don't just put a screen in front of them so that you can have a conversation with somebody else or work or do something else. You've got to find ways for them to engage with the world and not just an outside world in front of a screen. Because once you do that, you've lost the battle because of all of the science that has gone into what they put on those screens, by they meaning the corporations and the people who are putting big money behind the entertainment behind the screens, you're losing the dopamine because they've got dopamine at their fingertips with their phone or with their iPad. We get a different, a whole bunch of different things in our brain when we interact with another human being, but dopamine is an incredibly powerful factor that we've got to get them to avoid. So yeah, just engage with them personally so that that's the norm, not them in front of a screen. Yeah. And so actually I want to echo that too, because this is something we've put in place. There was a, um, and you guys can Google this, you can share it with your kids. Actually, we'll find the link and I'll put it in the show notes for this, but there's been multiple peer reviewed studies with thousands of participants. And it shows that up to two hours of screen time, it doesn't affect the brain in a negative way. 
This is total, by the way. So being on their phone at school, yep. checking Facebook, playing a video game on, you know, anything like total of two hours, which you actually get to pretty quick. Very. Okay. Now they looked at the suicide rate with our kids, which is, this is a shocking statistic has gone up almost 35% in the last 10 years. And I'll guarantee you, and CDC has not released the most recent numbers. I think they're afraid to. I think it's gone up even higher. There is a direct causal link Mm -hmm. between mental health, depression, anxiety, and suicide when a teenage brain is on a screen more than four hours a day. Which, think about it, that happens like that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? We've put those rules in place. They were not popular with our kids. But that's, you know what? That's one thing to come out of this. If people can just say, you know what? I'm not doing this because I want to be mean. I'm doing this because, listen, this, like Keith said, it actually affects your brain chemistry in a way that is really negative. And now it's proven. This is no longer just theory or parents want to be controlling. I think it's important for us to remember, too, that we control the environment. We control the atmosphere of our home. And so we do choose the habits that our kids have. And so if we just slide the phone to them so that they can watch a movie and leave us alone, that is us creating a habit. However, if we slide a book to them, if we slide great thought to them, if a great poem, whatever the heck it is, if we slide those things to them, then all of a sudden we've created a different habit. I want to share a personal story that just, it just happened last night and it was awesome. Yeah. You know, my kids are in seventh and eighth grade. And so we're watching some of the things that my wife and I love. And we loved Lost when it came out. I don't know if you remember the show, but it's brilliantly written. There's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Well, one of the things that happens early in the show is that one of the characters is reading Watership Down. And you sit there and you go, okay, so why are they putting that little carrot out there for you for that book? And so last night we were sitting there going, hey, guess what? These two tribes, the one that wants to stay on the beach and the one that wants to go inside into the cave where the water is, they want to split up. And I hit pause and I said, guys, remind me about Watership Down real quick because they both read it. Didn't they have a conflict where one group of them wanted to stay home and the other group wanted to go explore? And they're like, yeah, it's exactly the same thing. And you know, my daughter goes, well, that's plagiarism. I go, no, that's an, it's called an illusion. That's actually a good thing. But those are the kinds of deep conversations you can have. And again, my kids are seventh and eighth graders. And, you know, yeah, did I used to be an English teacher as well as a baseball coach? Yes. And is that a little different? But of course it is. But, you know, those are fun things that you can all have fun conversations that everyone can have at home instead of throwing them in front of a video game. Not that what I'm saying, I mean, I loved your conversation about the show. That's brilliant. That's a great way to interject, but don't let them just play Call of Duty, you know, and blow up the world and whatever they do there. Don't let them just watch a movie. Let them do a lot more engagement and create an atmosphere and environment that way. Yeah, see, I'm lucky because Mike Matthew loves to be outside. So our some of yeah. our best conversations are when he's hitting balls or shooting hoops, things like yep. that. Yeah. What I'm hearing is everybody out there is, you know, find opportunities, limit that screen time, but find opportunities to do things with your kid. Even as, you know what, even if you don't like it, like there's some things my kids like to go do that I'm not a, it's not my favorite thing to go do, but you know what, I'll go do it so I can spend that time with them. So I think this is a place where we kind of have to take our eyes off ourselves and go serve other folks. That's right. I don't like going and taking walks, but one of my sons during COVID loves taking walks. So, but you know what's happened now? It's now Keith, it's become a habit. Now that he's gone out of the house now, 
you know, I walk every day. Now, let me ask you this, because you mentioned this before, and I really want to talk about this. So as we're having these conversations, though, Mm -hmm. how do we bring the conversation? You know, you talked about three levels of relationship uh, before we got started. So I just want to, you know, the first one is with God. And I think one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is, what is our understanding of of who God is? Mm -hmm. Because until we think about that accurately... If we, if, or if we don't know how to think about that, it's hard to answer the question, who did God made me to be? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. then, right? And then the second level of relationship is the one, those one-on-one relationships that we have in our life, right? With our parents, with our friends, with girls, with boys. I mean, all this stuff with our younger kids, right? And then the third level of relationship is with those bigger groups, our yeah. classmates, our sports teams, our you know, if I'm in marching band or orchestra or whatever it is, we have, you know, our youth group, we have these also these dynamics and relationships. So, you know, somebody who's amazing at mentoring and discipling, what are those conversations that you, advice you would give those parents listening about how to have that first conversation about the relationship between our son or daughter and who Jesus is and who God is? Yeah, I start this where this is basically what you just outlined is is a part of the starting nine framework that I outline in my book. But it's all about to start, you start with the battery, okay, Mm -hmm. the pitcher and the catcher. And so the starting nine is just, it's a baseball diagram. And it just gives you an idea of where to begin. And I always start with freedom. And freedom is our pitcher, okay. He's the one with the ball. And that's where we've got to start our, our world and our worldview. So Jesus did not save us, John, to put us into another prison. Okay, he saved us so that we could find freedom in him. And Paul talks about this in Galatians, you know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we've got to ask our kids, what is holding you back from experiencing freedom? And when you start there, the world opens up. And it's hard for me sometimes because I do want to partner with our parents, but sometimes parent expectations is the thing that's keeping their kid from freedom. And that's where if we can have a generation of parents also engaging in a conversation about, hey, what can I do to help you feel more free and freed up to be who God created you to be? Those kinds of conversations at home along with the coach could be absolutely transformational. I'm not going to go terribly political on this, but I think this is a place where the two parties diverge. One party wants absolute freedom in every single way and facet, which I think is false. One party wants freedom with responsibility, and I believe that is the proper worldview that is given to us by God. And so we have to understand that, yes, there is freedom for us out there in our unique creation, but it, has, it comes with responsibility. You don't just get to do whatever the heck you want to do. And so if you can engage with your kids around an idea of freedom, what will set you free? And for me, I get to do it in a baseball context. You know, I get to watch a kid you know, fail and then throw a hat or, you know, throw a helmet or throw a glove or whatever. And I get to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something more going on here. You should just be pitching right now, or you should just be hitting. This is a game. How can you find freedom in a game when you're just going to get angry right at the end of it? And Mm. so then we get to engage in a conversation about their freedom. And to me, John, that is the place to begin. How can I help you achieve the freedom that God wants you to experience? There's something interesting that you did there, right? So you're looking at a, a ball player that is frustrated after something that happens on the field. So you're seeing, okay, there's definitely, you know, they're not being their best self. Yep. So if I bring that into a conversation, let's say my son or my daughter 
Because I think, you know, if I just went up to him and said, hey, what would make you free? I don't know if they'd know how to answer the question. Right. Yep. So what kind of coaching would you give the folks out there listening? Yeah. To, you know, to be able to maybe start and engage and maybe walk through a conversation with your kids that, because I think a lot of people out there listening are like, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that um, make sense? It does, 100%. And so you start talking maybe, I mean, and freedom is an abstraction. I mean, it's a really difficult concept to wrap your mind around. So then go the other route and mm-hmm. go, what is holding you back? What are the chains that are keeping you from being the best you can be? They can identify those inhibitors more quickly than they can that freedom component. And so, hey, what held you back during that moment on the mound when you got frustrated? Hey, what's what's a chain holding you down? You know, we all, so a lot of times, you know, I love the Chris Tomlin song, No Chains on Me, and the visual mm-hmm. that that gives us of walking without chains behind us. What's happened in the past? We, and we might get into a a conversation about, gosh, you know, I've just had a month where I've had really bad outings. And those have then become chains that he then drags onto the field with him. Or man, I've had a bunch of bad at bats in a row. And I just need to knock those chains down of those memories. So it could be, you know, what are those things in the recent or long term memory that are holding you from being the best that you can be? Is that helpful? Yeah, it really is. And I think, um, like when I'm with a group, what I have found is that people might not always be able to readily identify what they do want. Yes. But if I do ask my sons, right, I don't have any daughters, right, but what they don't want. Yes. Right. Hey, when you walked off the mound, you know, what were you feeling? Is that what you want? No, I don't. Hey, when you're, you know, with relationships, with their relationship with us, because like a friend of mine taught me this and it works beautifully. Who's ever been out there with a team? Let's say, you know, back when we could get together, and you're sitting there with a group, six, eight, ten people, and you've been working all day, and you're all going to go grab lunch or dinner. And you ask everybody, hey, where do you want to go? What do people start responding? Well, I don't know. You choose. Well, I don't know. You yeah. choose. Yeah. Maybe one person go, well, hey, I'd love to go to this place. But here's what I found is if I go around and say, okay, let, tell me what you absolutely do not want to go have. Well, <laughs> I definitely don't want to have pizza. I'm gluten-free. It's too much. I don't want to have this. I just had sushi last night. I don't want to go to the Japanese place. Everybody can identify it very quickly what they don't want. Yes. And I've been able to do that with my kids. And I think the other thing that you do really well, if people have been listening, is really ask open-ended questions. Yep. If we can do that, and don't look for opportunities where you can just jump in and teach or share. Yep. Keep with it and asking the questions. And here's just something to share with everybody. If you start a question with the word, what? Mm-hmm. More likely than not, it's going to be an open-ended question. So let's just say, use the baseball analogy, I see, you know, my son throw his helmet and go or go have a little tantrum. And I go up to him and say, dude, you can't do that. We talked, you said you wanted to be a leader. Is that being a leader? Because that's now a closed-ended question. That's yes, no. Right. What I could say is, hey, buddy, when that happened, what were you feeling? That's right. What was going through your head, Right how do you want to show up and be seen by the team? Yeah. I can get him by asking open-ended questions. I can develop this and it's worked with all three of my boys. We have these great relationships by asking these kind of questions about whatever's going on in their life. You can now be a partner in actually helping them to think Mm -hmm. and not stepping in the role of the person who's lecturing. That's right. So like that's something Keith I've seen you do really well. Well, I, I appreciate that. 
It's something that I've had to learn over time because I'm deeply curious. I had to learn to stop asking why questions Mm -hmm. because why questions can cause somebody to become defensive. Yes. It can just take you down a rabbit hole. You don't want to go down. And so if you can ask, just like you said, if you can ask a good what question in that moment, I think you can really draw out the kid that you want. And watch your body language and tone, because I could go, what were you thinking? (laughs) Now, that's not a good open-ended question. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Now, you might feel that way. But, okay, now, where do you, you know, as you're talking with somebody and you've, you know, you've really connected. Yep. To lead them toward that conversation about really being in a relationship with the Lord. Mm. What does that look like, Keith? Well, to me, part of the application of grace is understanding that your desire is to walk with that person for the long haul. I'm not trying to evangelize that person in that moment. And if I don't get them baptized on the field a month from now, then I'm a failure. You know, I've got to release some of that. And so I need to position myself as somebody who's going to walk with them now and in the future. Because my hope is that they do accept Jesus and that they do want to come along and learn the teachings of Jesus and apply them to their lives. But that doesn't happen all the time immediately. For some, it does. Actually, for high school kids, very few of them, you know, sit there and go, yep, I'm following Jesus and I'm going to do it. I call those like the one percenters. We don't have a lot of people that are going to go at the age of 17 or 18, say, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to do everything he asked me to do right now because the culture If you remember, you know, think back to the parable of the sower and the four different types of soil that we have. The soil that we have right now that is choking out our culture is the one that Jesus talked about, which are the weeds and the cares of the world and the cares of riches and things like that. It's choking out the soil right now. Mm. And that's a major piece of the puzzle for the kids to understand. And so you ask me, how do I continue to dive deeper? And it's just, hey, I can't feel the pressure of making them make a life change right now. They need to understand that I am with them now. I am with them their freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year when they are in college and beyond. And so when I get that level of relationship and that level of trust, that's when I can start to engage in the deeper conversations. And so when they know that I'm not just trying to get them to flip a switch, follow Jesus and, okay, cool, I did my job, I'm out. No, I'm with them forever and for the long haul. And that's why, you know, as a coach, you get invited to weddings. And that's why, you know, this last week, you know, I I exchanged texts with three of our alums. I I went and saw two of our guys play a club game over the weekend. You know, that level of relationship, you just have to invest and invest and invest. And I think you just have to come into it with a long-term mentality and not try to shift it and feel that pressure right away. I feel like I answered the question in an abstract way. I hope that's okay. No. Uh, what you're talking about is uh, you're investing in the relationship because it's the right thing to do, not because you're trying to get toward an outcome. That's right. Like, you know, one of my kids, right, has totally walked away from the church. Mm-hmm. But he was at a Christian high school and got a girl pregnant. And mm-hmm. because they chose to keep the baby because he wanted to do everything right, he was expelled. Mm. He was shunned. He was ashamed. He was excommunicated. He wasn't even allowed on campus. And that was, I think, more hurtful to him. So here's the other thing, too, is 
when our kids see stuff in the world done by other so-called, you know, people that call themselves Christians. Yep. And you and I, I mean, we know that this is not what Jesus would have done. It's not in scripture, but it's things like that happen. Yep. And all of a sudden, like, I know my son for a fact thinks, you know what, we're the exception to the rule. We're not normal Christians, me and my wife, because of how we handled it with love. We've been with them every step of the way. We pray with them. Yeah. Right. And now he lets us pray with him before he used to really push back. So he knows we're in this for the long haul. Yeah. And I, you know, that's our prayer is that God just, you know, he's the prodigal son that God brings him back into relationship. And I know he will, that's but right. how do you work with either your own kids or some of your athletes when they're really, you know, going through some of those things in their world with their knowledge, 16, 17, 15, where they really are having a crisis of, of either personal crisis or crisis of faith. How do you speak into that, Keith? You know, to me, that's an opportunity to just, just shower love on them like mm. crazy. I'm thinking about uh, one, of our, one of our softball girls right now. Her dad is going through a significant issue uh, medically. Mm. And every day, and I know that I'm breaking every COVID rule when – when this happens, but she comes up and she just needs a hug because her, her dad's in the hospital or because she can't hug her dad. And I get to step in and I get to partner with the parents in that. And I get to fill that gap uh, just for that short period of time. And so when they're struggling, again, you have to show that you're willing to walk that road with them, that you are going to love them unconditionally through it. I mean, I love your example of your son who loved your son unconditionally through that. And it doesn't sound like that happened. That's the love of Jesus to say, okay, you acknowledge the mistake. You made the mistake. Now we're going to love you through it. And we're going to figure out how to make the most of the natural consequences that came from that. We don't need to heap a bunch of more consequences on top of that. We can just love them through it. Give them grace. Give them forgiveness. Let them experience what Jesus wants them to experience in that moment. Yeah, you know, that just makes me want to bring, you know what, I looked at their policy. Yeah, They're, They were trying to influence behavior through these policies. Yep. yep. And we went to the school board. We went, to, I mean, I brought people with me. I did just according to Matthew. What I found was, though, there was this spirit of punishment yep. versus the spirit of reconciliation and redemption in love. That's right. And I think what I want people to take away from this is, our kids are going to mess up. We're going to mess up. Yep. But if we bring to it in prayer and in, you know, I've gotten to the point now with my kids because I, I mess up, right? I'm the first one to apologize. Yeah. I think too, you know, some of the things that we can model to our kids is just being real yeah. saying, Hey, I made a mistake. You know, you talk about, you know, that level of relationship that they have with others, because I think as a parent, the relationships we have with our spouse with our kids, how we treat and talk about other people. Yep. I've actually, you know, how we treat and talk about, let's say people we don't agree with on, let's say the other side of an issue. Yeah. Everything that we're doing, our kids are watching and they're going to bring that into their relationships because we're setting that foundation, aren't we? We are. And you know, this actually goes into that level of one-on-one -on -one relationship because I think that's where discipline needs to happen. And the second leadership lesson from my first book um, is discipline the way you've been disciplined. And I think a lot of times we, maybe through our parents who disciplined us harshly, maybe, 
or this picture of God like he's Zeus and mm-hmm. he's just going to throw a lightning bolt at us and discipline us that way. That is not the way our loving Heavenly Father disciplines us. He disciplines us gently. He helps us over the long period of time. I mean, again, look at how Jesus, who was Jesus harshest with and who was he kindest to? He was kindest to his disciples who were sinners, who were people who were just like, I don't know what all this means. Lord, tell me what all this stuff is all about, who ask questions. Who was he harshest to? He was harshest to the people who were on the, they were on the religious they were the Pharisee. They were the, the ones who followed the law by the letter of the law. He was harshest with them. He was harshest with the people who thought they knew everything. And you sit there and you go, wait, there's something to learn in that. Like, how can I then discipline somebody else kindly? How can I influence them in a gentle manner the way my heavenly father influences mm. me? And there's this idea that I got from, it was a homeschool model Uh, Charlotte Mason is the name of the lady. She's an educational philosopher from England. Brilliant idea here to apply here. So when somebody does something wrong, John, there's three possibilities. Yeah. The person, the kid, is either weak in the habit, they're ignorant, or they're rebelling. Where do we most often go? We most often believe that they're rebelling, and so we get angry that they're rebelling against us. Whereas if they are ignorant or weak in the habit, you know whose fault that is? It's ours. It's the parent or the coach. And so when I've started to apply this to- Wait, I got to take personal responsibility? Yeah. Darn it. (laughs) You do. Sorry. (laughs) And, And that's where as a coach, I sit there and I go, okay, a mistake got made on the field. I have to sit there and I have to go, well, is that my fault? Do they know? Have they been taught that well enough? And have I created a practice environment what good enough to have those habits practiced so let's say I don't know let's say for example we lose a game late in the game all right well I sit there and I go well I can get mad about that or I can look at myself and I go you know have I done enough during practice to put them in late game situations so that that becomes normal use an example from the softball team I'm coaching right now we're hitting the ball really well offensively we're really good defensively we're improving we're doing a lot of good things Well, in these last couple of games, in tight games, we'll have runners on and we'll leave a bunch of runners on base. Well, gosh, you know, okay, I can get angry at that. I can go, come on, you guys got to come through. Or I can go, wait a minute. You know what I haven't done? I haven't put runners on base while they're hitting batting practice so they have to drive those runners in. Duh, that's my fault. You know, so I, and that's what we did late last week. So I'm excited about the game we have today because we're going to drive a bunch of runners in. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) in in theory, right? So that's just a really important thing for us to take the onus on ourselves when we want to discipline somebody, we want to get after them. Wait a minute, have I taught them well enough so that they learn the habit, so that they aren't ignorant about this thing that could take them down a path they don't want to go down? And sometimes it is rebelling, but that has to be our third thought, not our first thought. Mm. You know, it's interesting. It made me, it made me think of, right, uh, when we see somebody else's actions, yep. we, you know, we tend to assign motive. Yep. That's right? absolutely Like, why'd they do that? They're being disrespectful. They're rebelling, right? We like, but when we make a mistake, like, let's say I lose my temper, raise my voice. Yep. Well, I immediately go, well, I was, you know, I'm tired. I'm having a bad day. I'll just go say I'm sorry. And we, we always give ourselves grace. That's right. But we tend to judge others so true 
And I love that you brought that up. I think especially dealing with our kids is always coming from that place is, you know what? They're a good kid. Yep. They're trustworthy. They got a great heart. So how I'm perceiving this conversation, I could be completely wrong. Yeah. So maybe I need to ask some questions and really, before I start reacting, go into that place of asking those open-ended questions. That's right. And then guess what? Then you actually start building an environment. This is kind of what happened with my son uh, who had the baby, right? We, we had actually a really not a good relationship. And it's because how I was showing up as a parent. Yeah. Like as an example, one day I'm walking through the family room and I say, you know, hey, my buddy, I need you to mow the lawn today. And he just said, no, he looked at me and said, no, mm-hmm. you know, as a former military guy and, you know, just anyway, I lost it mm-hmm. and I got the lawn mowed. Yep. Now I realized, you know what, I, I am damaging our relationship. Yeah, I got the lawn mode, but at what cost? That's right. And I realized, Keith, I have to change. Yeah. And so I started thinking, okay, you know, it's going to happen again. Whatever our kids do, our sons, our daughters, our spouses do, that drives you crazy, guess what? It's going to happen again. So here's something that we can do. Think about it. Write this down, because unless you pre-experience, I don't believe we can change it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is that cue, that trigger, right? My son telling me no. Yeah. So I said, okay, what is the thought that I had? This is actually how we start. If you dig into the neuroscience, also around habits. Mm-hmm. We can create habits that allow us to disciple our kids, I believe. I agree. So what is the thought I want to have when he tells me no next time? Instead of feeling that first thought of, you can't disrespect your dad. First thought I want to have is, oh my gosh, here's an amazing opportunity for me to mentor my son. That's right. Then the thought always leaves in our, in our body physiologically to a feeling. And our feelings don't really have a language center, but we, we act from these feelings. So instead of feeling anger or rage, this is probably where yeah. I was before, how do I want to feel? You know what I wrote down? This was honestly hard for me to come up with because this was so different, Keith. And that was unconditional love. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? This is not a habit. This has never been modeled to me in my life. It's not how I was raised. Yes. And I said, what is the action I want to take when this happens? Even though he just told me no and I asked him to do something. Yeah. I want to sit down and have a calm conversation. Mm-hmm. Now think about this. It's two weeks later. Yeah. And I look outside, the lawn needs to be mowed. I said, Michael, I need, you know, buddy, I need you to mow the lawn. And he doesn't even look up from his phone this time. He just says, no. Mm. Because remember, I had written all this down, I pre-experienced, but the first thing that happened, it was all that emotional cycle to anger was a habit. I immediately felt the tension, the stress, the, I wanted to start shouting and I realized, no, this is an opportunity to mentor him. That's right. So I sit down next to him, kind of tense because, you know, I'm trying (laughs) to fight this habit and I'm like, okay, I got to love Michael and we're going to have a calm conversation. But I said to him, I said, hey, uh, Michael, when you said no, what did no mean? Mm. I didn't know what else to ask in that moment. Yeah, yeah. He looks up to me like, dad, duh. He's like, dad, I got two-a-day practices for hockey. I got to pick up Ollie and I got to write a paper. He goes, there's no way I come on lawn today. Mm. I'm like, oh, is that what you meant? When you said no, he's like, he looks at me like, yeah. You know, I had to like fight the rage again. Yeah. Uh, but then I said, Hey, you know, let me ask you a question. You know, why was that your reaction? He goes, dad, can I share something with you? He goes, I hate when you come up and demand I do something without even asking me 
whether mm-hmm. it's something I can do. He goes, I don't mind doing chores. You know that I work hard. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. So guess what I did on the spot as I apologized. I was the person that was actually creating this dynamic that was hurting our relationship. Mm-hmm. And now because, so I worked on it and I worked on worked on it. And then when he got a girl pregnant, guess what? He was able to come to me and say, dad, I don't know how to tell you this. Yeah. But we had laid this foundation that has allowed me to now walk with him now for two and a half years through something that's been one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. Imagine being a 17-year-old father. I can't imagine it. Yeah. I mean, it's life's different. So everything that you're talking about, Keith, and I just wanted to share that story because I think it's so important that we start looking at how we raise our kids from that kingdom perspective as a mentor, as a discipler. So, you know, just kind of as we wrap up, you know, just what are your final thoughts that you'd love to just leave with everybody out there listening, Keith? Well, I think it's encouragement that, John, you're a normal guy. I'm a normal guy. There's nothing special about us, but there's a lot special about Jesus. And his teachings, when we apply them to our lives, bring us to whole new levels of relationship and love with one another. Mm. I love that story about you and your son. I mean, you really did have to do the internal work before that relationship was mended and you got it all figured out. And we can all do that. We have to engage though. We have to be willing to go deep with, with one another. That's the first thing. The second thing is just getting to, and this is the part that breaks my heart about what's happening in our country right now. We talked about what we, how we should look at and apply the teachings of Jesus in big groups, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Teams, communities, and countries. And it really boils down to unity, family, and others. You know, we have to use language around unity. We have to see each other as a family. And families are supposed to be places and environments where that unconditional love exists by everybody. And then we have to think about others before we think about ourselves. And that is such a huge missing thing in our society today. And when you want to look at people who stand out, it's the people who are thinking about others instead of themselves. And that's really what it boils down to in a very simple sentence. But Mm. um, yeah, I, I think those are the things that just encouragement and then just trying to have a message of unity and family and others wherever we go with people. Yeah. And I think, you know, and also just be praying for your kids. Oh yeah. Right. Prayer. You do that. We do that all the time. We start our meetings when we're talking about Matthew, you and I, uh, in prayer. And man, I just so appreciate what you do and how you do it. Keith, I just got to tell you, you've inspired me to be a better dad to my son. No, seriously. You know, you've, you've shared things just, I've watched how you share things with my son in a way. I'm like, you know what? That's, how I want to come across. That's how I want to show up. So, you know what? I I just pray that God continues to just bless you mightily in just modeling, not only shaping these kids' lives that you influence, but showing parents how to show up in a way that creates that relationship Yep. where we can connect, where it is safe, where I can trust my mom and dad to have some of these conversations that, you know, for some like we couldn't, I couldn't have these conversations with my folks growing up. Yep. It would have led to an argument every time. And guess what? The kids figure that out pretty quick. Yep. They do. They shut down. Yeah. Thank you, brother. And how do people get in touch with you? Find out about your books, the work you're in, you know, anything you're doing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, the website is just, I am com, And you can see a bunch of my blog writings and books there. Follow me on all the social media outlets. Uh, Twitter is at coach wall 22. 
And uh, Wall is W A H L. W A H L. Yep. Correct. Yes. So um, would love to just continue to connect with people in our in our Valor community, in our Colorado community, and also throughout the country around these ideas. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Sure, appreciate you. Appreciate you too, John. Thank you.